Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, this morning, I am especially reminded that no man can stand and open your word and proclaim it to people aside from the blood. That as sinners, we have no credibility. As fallen men, we have no particular wisdom. But by the blood that paid for our lives, by the blood that has set us free, by the gospel that has filled our hearts with passion and with fire, we can open up your word knowing that it is not a man that speaks it, but the spirit of God, and that that is sufficient. This morning, Lord, we just worship you in light of that good news. This morning, we just stand enamored by your glory. Let us never move past it. Let us never get over it here. Father, my prayer is that the gospel would take greater root in our lives and that we would leave today even more astonished than normal. Let us love you more. Let us love one another better. Let us serve you faithfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's a pretty tough act to follow. I think as a pastor, and being in ministry about 10 years, I I can't think of many moments that I've ever had um, that I'm much prouder of than this one. And seeing you deliver the word, John, faithfully and effectively, um, it's stunning. And uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm proud of you. You've done a great job. And I love you. And our church loves you. John talked with us this morning about the responsibilities of an elder to the church. What I want us to see this morning, brothers and sisters, is that the responsibility, and we should be reminded this every time we ordain a man into the gospel ministry, a responsibility is not only from an elder to the church, but from the church to the elder. And so I have come tonight, to, or this morning, to show the other side of this. The responsibility that all the members of the flock have toward the under-shepherds that the chief shepherd has placed your care into. So if you would stand with me, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read verses 7 through 17. Hebrews is toward the back of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7, says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those, who devoted, those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. Just to be transparent with you this morning, this is a particularly uncomfortable passage and a particularly uncomfortable text for me to preach to you. Anytime I am to stand and say, not just with John, but for all of the ordained elders of our church, with Zach and Aaron and myself, to stand and say what your responsibilities are toward us, and even go so far as to say what verse 7 says, to obey your leaders, admittedly it feels self-serving. Admittedly it is uncomfortable, and admittedly it is hard for me to do it. But... I want you to see this morning that these words are not from a man to you. This is not from Cody. This is not from John. This is not from your pastoral team. This is from the word of God. And we aim here in Iron City and as Christians of uh, believers in Christ to bring our lives into the full submission to God's word. And so my prayer is, is that you would receive it humbly as his words and not as mine. I want us to see this morning five responsibilities that we have as the flock of God toward the elders of God. Five responsibilities that the congregation has to her elders. The first responsibility I think we see in verse 7 when Paul says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What the first responsibility is, is to persevere in the teaching and following of your elders. To persevere in the teaching and following of your elders. Most commentators agree that when uh, the writer of Hebrews says uh, to remember your leaders, that he is taking them back to leaders that have passed away. Leaders that have already stepped out of this life and into the next life. He's referring back very likely to the leaders that they had that established the church in the beginning, who preached the gospel, who who brought many of these men and women to faith, those who set their hearts on fire for the gospel. And I believe what the preacher of Hebrews is telling them is to say, remember back to what they said. Remember how faithfully they lived. Remember the gospel that they preached to you. Remember the core doctrines of the faith that they planted into your heart. Remember the passion for the word of God and the passion for the church of God and the the, uh, great commission to go out and to make disciples of all nations. Remember what they said to you because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. The gospel has not changed. Apparently, the church had not persevered in the teachings of her leader. Apparently, the church had wavered, and their faith had cooled, and their hearts had wavered. And what normally, what what in the past would rally them and rise them and commit them to the gospel, instead, now, was just another thing that they heard every week as they gathered. Brothers and sisters, we have that same responsibility. To remember the things that we have been taught. To persevere in them. 
to persevere in living out the gospel, to persevere in loving the gospel, to persevere in applying the gospel in our lives. See, every one of our pastors, I feel like I can say with confidence, is committed to being here for the long haul. Who knows, according to the sovereign hand of God, what might happen, what may happen. But I can tell you with full integrity, with all of my heart, that if I have my way and if my heart comes true, I will die in this pulpit. And I believe that the other pastors, along with John, stand with me with a similar sentiment. But if we are going to have lasting ministries here, if we are going to have long tenures here, you are going to have to persevere in the things that we teach you. You are going to have to persevere in receiving the preached word. You are going to have to persevere in receiving uh, application and receiving correction and receiving hard teachings. You're going to persevere as we go through long books of the Bible, preaching them verse by verse and week by week. You're going to have to persevere in those things. Because as you know, when... A pastor is new, it's exciting, and it's fresh, and his mannerisms are, are different, and his words are different. But the longer that we are together, the more those things are just going to fade away to you. The more it, we try to study and we try to keep our words fresh and our message new. That's one of the reasons we do go to different passages every week as we go through books of the Bible. But the truth of the matter is, is I am just who I am, and they are just who they are. And at some point, all of the mannerisms and all of the language and all of those things, are, it's going to be very easy for them to just fade into the background and for you to check out as we teach and to check out as we preach. Brothers and sisters, you must persevere. You are responsible to do that. You are responsible to persevere in the receiving of the word. You are responsible to persevere in the applying of the word. And so much as you see the things that we teach and preach and that we believe them truly and attempt, though not perfectly, but as John beautifully said, with all of our hearts, that you would imitate us in that. It's going to require patience. It's going to require diligence. But you are responsible. The second responsibility that I think we see is that you are responsible to treasure Christ and forsake worldliness. To treasure Christ and to forsake worldliness. Paul says in there, he says, Therefore, let us, not go, uh, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach we endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, that, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Apparently, the church there had begun to um, desire the approval of the world. Very likely that they had defaulted back into uh, a past history of Judaism and that they were again practicing the, the law and living out uh, as a living life as an Orthodox Jew because they felt the pressure of their background and the pressure of their families and the pressure of their culture saying, You've got to do this for God to love you, you've got to do this to be accepted. You've got to do this to be one of us, to be as you've always been. Are you not a proud Jew? 
It was the pressures of fitting in in the world. It was the pressures of blending in and having the acceptance of their family and the acceptance of their peers that was causing them to cave, that was causing them to get to the place where the writer of Hebrews has to say to them, you don't live for this city. You don't live for now. You don't live for this world. You live for a city that is to come. You are like Christ who bared reproach upon himself, who bared the burden upon himself, who had to go outside of the city for his blood to be shed. That is the call of your life. You, as the flock of God, have taken upon the cross of Christ, and now you carry that. He's rebuking them in their worldliness. And in rebuking them in their worldliness with the words that he's saying, he's saying, brothers and sisters, the issue is not that you are so worldly, it is that you love Christ so little that you are not treasuring Christ. Can I just tell you that the most miserable thing to do in ministry is to lead worldly people in spiritual truth. The most miserable thing in the world is to try to shepherd worldly people toward spiritual faithfulness. To shepherd people that are apathetic and indifferent, who it doesn't matter what we say or what we preach or what God's word says, they're going to go and leave and be all the same. These are the folks that keep me awake at night. These are the folks when I close the door to my office that I pray for, and I wonder, why won't they listen? Why don't they care? How can they be so indifferent to such a spectacular gospel? But the truth of the matter is, is you have responsibility for your own godliness. I can't open up your mind and pour the word of God into it. I can't open up your heart and pour the gospel in there. I can't make you love God. I can't make you treasure Christ. I can't do it. John can't do it, and Zach can't do it, and Aaron can't do it, our deacons can't do it. We can't make you live a faithful life. We can't force you to do that. It is your responsibility. You have ownership in it. And though it is the most miserable thing in the world to try to lead worldly people in spiritual truth, brothers and sisters, let me just tell you, it is the most joyful thing, the most exhilarating thing, the most energizing thing to lead people who love the gospel to love it more. There is nothing better than that. Let me just tell you that when one of you sends me a text message and tells me what God's doing in your life, it gets me through some dark times. When you come and you sit down across the lunchroom table from me and tell me about how God's using you for the gospel. When I get an email from you and you say, man, from the sermon, this is what God used to change my whole approach to life. Like those kinds of things, they can get me through some dark days. They can get me through some moments of despair. They are what God uses as common grace in my life and in the life of these men to persevere not only in the ministry but in our salvation. You're responsible for that. You are responsible to live a faithful life, to live a life that treasures Christ, 
to live a life that champions the gospel. You are responsible. We are responsible to teach you. We are responsible to equip you. We are responsible to tell you how. We are responsible to lay bare the word of God. But you are responsible by God's grace to respond. Responsibility number three, love one another. Paul says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I believe what Paul, or not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews is saying is to love one another enough to sacrifice something that you have for everyone else's good. To love your church family enough that you willingly sacrifice what you have for the good of the body. That you willingly sacrifice your time. And you willingly sacrifice your energy. And you willingly sacrifice your money. And you willingly sacrifice your home. And you willingly sacrifice everything that you have to, so that the body in and of itself might thrive. So that your brothers and sisters in Christ might move forward. This past Christmas, my father-in-law was withdrawn from the family and was kind of over in the corner by himself being quiet. And this is very unlike him. Usually when the whole family gathers around at Christmas time, he's kind of right in the middle of everybody and uh, just kind of telling stories. And that, that's what we were doing. You know, everybody, we don't see each other except usually around Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving. And so everybody's gathered around and we're telling stories and enjoying each other's company and just, just having a good time. And he's withdrawn. And so I went over to just see what he was doing. I'll never forget, he just said, Cody, I'm just enjoying watching my family love each other. And I thought, man, that's got to be a sweet time in your life. And I understand this much more now as a dad, but I, I believe that when I'm in his season of life, I'll understand it all the better. To be able to stand in the corner of the room and see your fan family caring for each other and being there for each other and, and enjoying each other's company and loving on each other and not wanting to leave and being sad when the goodbyes come and just loving it. Can I just tell you, church, that that's how a pastor feels when he sees a church loving one another. When I can step back and I can hear about ways that you've ministered to each other and cared for each other that I didn't even know anything about, it causes my heart to rejoice. When I hear about you taking meals to families that are sick or have lost people that they love, it causes my heart to rejoice. When I hear about how you're walking through difficult seasons of life with somebody and meeting with them and praying with them and laboring for them and bearing the burden for them, it causes our hearts to rejoice. Imagine how much easier it is to care for a congregation that already cares for one another. Can I just say the needs that you all have, if it is only the job of the pastor to care for them, are, are overwhelming to us. We are inadequate. We are inadequate to accomplish all of the counseling that needs to happen here. We are inadequate to, to accomplish all of the care that needs to take place and all of the praying that needs to take place. We are inadequate. But brothers and sisters, if you are with us, if you will counsel with us, if you will stand with one another and bear the burdens for one another, God has given us all of the people that we need to care, that to be able to care for all of the needs that we have. So this morning, I say don't neglect each other. Don't gossip about each other. 
Don't be easily offended by one another. Don't hold grudges toward one another. Don't forget about one another. Don't withdraw yourself from one another, but instead love each other, counsel each other, be there for each other, support each other. Responsibility four, be anxious to follow and easy to lead. In verse 17, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Honestly, this is the one that's most uncomfortable for me to say to you, if I'm being transparent with you. For me to look at you and say, obey and submit to your leaders is uncomfortable. And I'm guessing it's uncomfortable for you to receive it, and it's probably for two reasons. Number one, we live in a culture of individualism and autonomy. We live in a culture when you say a wife should submit to his husband or a church should submit to their leaders that rebukes that and rebuffs that and says that's outrageous. Submission and obedience are outrageous in an autonomous culture. The second reason, I would say, is because you understand that your leaders aren't perfect. It seems outrageous that God would expect you to obey someone that isn't perfect, though his scriptures are filled with such moments and such commands. Perhaps you've even been manipulated by a leader, abused by a leader, and you think, I can't trust a man like that. I I can't, how do I know that you're not like that guy? How do I know that this church is not going to go the direction of my last? How can I be assured of all of those things? First of all, let me answer each of those. To the first one that says, I'm an individual. That I have my freedom. I don't answer to anyone. I say that when you came to Christ, when you brought yourself under his headship, that when you did that, you said, I am committing in this moment to a life of self-denial. I am committing in this moment to live as one that is living in submission to Christ, but also living in submission to all those that Christ has placed in leadership over me. That anything that his word says, that I will do. The second one, when you say, well, what about the abuse? What about the manipulation? What about your own imperfections? And I will just tell you, I am messed up. I would say, first of all, that's why the scriptures never use the word elder singularly, referring to having one leader in a church. That we are to have a plurality of leadership. We are to have a collection of leaders so that if you have one guy living in sin, the others can rebuke him. So that if you have one guy exercising a domineering spirit, the others can discipline him. So that if you have one that's living a life as a heretic, the others can come and point him to the congregation as a wolf. But also, the word that he gives here is a soft word. It's not obey. The intent here has nothing to do with mindless following. The intent here has nothing to do with blind obedience. The spirit of what he is saying is this. Is if your pastors 
are men that are attempting to live faithful lives. And if your pastors are attempting to lay bare to you all of the word, even the hard parts, and if your pastors are attempting to bring their own lives in submission to the word and in submission to Christ, and if your pastors are willing to receive counsel, and if your pastors are willing to lead collaboratively together, if your pastors are men like that, let your default be, let your first reflex be one of submission and obedience. Does it mean you can't ever ask a question? It means in things that are secondary issues, things that are just philosophical differences, things that you would do a different way if you were in charge, you have an opportunity in those moments to display a submissive spirit to Christ. You have an opportunity in those moments to bring glory to Christ with your submission and with your obedience and with your unifying spirit. And so... Brothers and sisters, I tell you, you, have, you are responsible. And you are responsible because we are men that one day will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for the way that we've led you. We will give an account for the things that we've taught you. In fact, I believe we will give an account for your own godliness. And I believe I can speak on all of these men and any man that we bring in here in the future, we will ensure is the same, that we tremble at the thought. And we live as men that fear God and fear the ramifications of our own unfaithfulness. And so as you submit, as you are anxious to follow our lead, know that we are men that are not perfect, but realize the account that we one day will give. The final responsibility that I want to give to you this morning comes from the, the second half of verse 17 when he says, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the one that caught me off guard the most, but do you notice the language that he says? He's talking to the congregation, and he says, Let your pastors lead with joy. Let them do it with joy. Do you see that? Whose responsibility is the joy of the pastors? It's the congregations. The congregation, the flock, has responsibility to allow the shepherds to lead with joy. And he says this, frankly, and almost self-serving on your behalf, you let them lead with joy because that's better for you. I've never thought about it that way before. But it's the truth. Can I just tell you that ministry... This is the only thing I ever want to do with my life, but ministry is filled with a lot of dark days. A lot of dark days. You talk with people on their worst hour. You hear a lot of criticism and critique of the way that you do things and the way that you say things and the way that you carry yourself. You live in a glass house, people always watching. You're sometimes betrayed. You sometimes pour your heart and pour your heart and pour your heart discipling someone only to see them fall away from the faith. Let me just tell you, brothers and sisters, those are some dark days. Megan can attest to the sleepless nights and Megan can attest to the days that I can't eat dinner when I come home. But let me just tell you, ministry is also filled with joy. It's filled with joy. It's filled with joy when you see gospel take root in somebody's family. It's filled with joy when you see a brother come broken to the altar that had lived as a pagan before 
It's filled with joy when you see children being discipled in the word that didn't even know Jesus' name before. It's filled with joy when you have a word spoken into your ear of encouragement at just the right moment that you know is providentially given to you by God. It's filled with joy. Joy that fuels us as we move forward. Joy that enables our perseverance. And joy that you are responsible for. And so there are two ways that I think that you accomplish that. First is your own godliness. It brings us joy to see the gospel take root in your life. It brings us joy to see you transformed and sanctified and growing and maturing. We know you're not perfect. We aren't perfect. We get that. We're willing to to show grace and we're willing to be patient. Paul tells us, preach the word with complete patience. We're there. But to see you persevere and to see you overcome and to see you press on in the gospel, that brings us joy. But let me tell you the easiest way for you to apply that this morning. We need you to be our friends. I'm just being transparent, uncomfortably transparent. The way that you can bring joy into the life of your elders, in the life of your pastors, is to simply be our friends. You realize this is our only church family too. We don't have another church that we can go to and minister to us. We don't have another church that we can go to and have someone pour into us and disciple us and invest in us. We don't have another church that can help us that we can go to and get us through dark moments. We don't have another church that can bring us meals. We don't have another church that can be with us on our hard days. We don't have another church. You are our church family just as we are yours. And frankly, I spend all of my time either with people in the church or with my family. If I don't have friends here, I'm not going to have friends. The ministry is filled with lonely men. The ministry is filled with miserable men. And I don't think that should happen here. So many of you already have become friends to me, close friends. And and I praise God. But it's not just me. It's, It's all of these men. We need you. We need to know that we can trust you. We need, to, we need confidants. We need prayer warriors. We need people to eat dinner with and have fun with. We need people that when we are not ministering to them can minister back to us as we struggle and as we try to persevere in the ministry, as we go through dark seasons, as, as our family gets sick, as our family members pass away. We need, we need this ministry to be a two-way street and that is the only way that we are going to make it any period of time of sustained ministry here at Iron City. We need this, and it is to your advantage. It is to your advantage that we minister with joy. It deepens the relationship, and it deepens the ability for us to demonstrate love to you. This morning, having heard the responsibilities of the elders and having heard the responsibilities of the church, I want to conclude by reading two charges. The first charge is to the church family. The first charge will be to you that the responsibilities that you have, and this is what you are responsible for as we move on ministering together. The second will be for John. Church, today is a day for you to evaluate your commitment to our church and to the shepherds that God has entrusted to you. Therefore, I charge you, Iron City, to persevere in the praise that God uses John to place on your lips and in your hearts. 
I charge you to imitate him as he worships the living God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. Offer your lives daily as a living sacrifice. I charge you to treasure Christ above all things and to forsake the fleshly passions you have for this world. Remember always that you are living for a greater city than this. Preach to yourself the glory of Christ. Hunger and thirst for righteousness as spiritual people striving to live in spiritual truth. I charge you to love one another. Be devoted to the fellowship of believers and faithful to the gathering of the saints. Bear burdens for one another, counsel one another, and provide for one another as often as you have the opportunity. Allow your elders to be filled with praise as you consider uh, your fellowship. I charge you, obey your leaders as those who will give an account. Be anxious to follow and easy to lead. Demonstrate your submissiveness to Christ as you submit to the leaders he has placed over you. I charge you, Iron City, to take seriously the joy of your pastors. Befriend them and love them. Minister to them as they minister to you, for this is for your benefit. John, the words of Hebrews is penetrating for pastors. He says that one day you are going to stand, having accepted this call, having received this charge, you are going to stand before Christ and you are going to give an account for the faithfulness in leading this flock. And so as you receive this charge, John, I ask you to receive it humbly. And I ask you to receive it with the understanding, the weightiness of it, But also at the same time, understanding this is not burdensome, for Christ is sufficient in your weakness. And Christ will make and perfectly overwhelm all of your inadequacies. The charge that I'm going to read to John is not written by me at all. It was given through by the Holy Spirit to Paul in the pastoral epistles of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Though it's not in the order that Paul has them, I have rearranged all of the imperatives that Paul has given. And so, John, I ask you to receive these words as the inerrant, God-breathed word that it is. Perfect in its writing. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you because of your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the confession in the presence of many witnesses. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. At this time, John, I would like to invite you to come forward. And I would like to ask all of our deacons and men who participated in the presbytery and the ordination council to come forward. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us that we should not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And I can stand with full integrity before you, church family, and to tell you that we have not been hasty. This has been deliberate. This has been well thought out. This has been worked hard for. And so I ask for your patience this morning as we pray over John. And then we will invite you to be a part of the same.